HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at cheesestateuniversity.com. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. This is our 14th year on Heritage Radio Network. And we're up here for our first time at the Craft Malt Conference in Portland, Maine. We've got some great people, including farmers and maltsters and brewers, who've all gathered here to celebrate the most important ingredient in beer and whiskey, which is malt. So uh, our guests are going to introduce themselves. And this this talk, we're going to talk focus on Maine and, um, you know, the agriculture and malts and uh, just how important that story is. So we'll go around the room and the guests will introduce themselves. I am Joshua Bach of the Maine Malthouse. I'm Joel Alex of Blue Ox Malt House. So one of my favorite sessions at the Craft Malt Conference was your guys' talk about Maine malt. It was malting in Maine, building a local grain chain in the Pine State. Um, and Josh started. So why don't you just a little bit from that, tell us about how your family, you know, your longtime family farm, how you got started and, and switched over to doing grains and malts. Yeah, so we, uh, so we started out as a potato farm. Um, back, my grandfather started back in 58. We farmed potatoes up until 2019. We were kind of doing both the, uh, the malt side of things, focusing more on our grain plus doing potatoes. And then in, uh, 2019, we kind of made the switch from uh, a potato farm to an all grain farm, focusing hundred percent on the, uh, the malt side and growing the grains for that. That's great. And, uh, Joel, tell us a little about your background. I know you talked about being in Belfast, Maine, something about making malt on a table yeah well um i guess a, a little bit about my background is i grew up in old town maine uh we're familiar uh for canoes um and while i do have an agricultural background on my dad's side I grew up on a dairy farm in unity they were both educators uh in my lifetime so grew up above a school that my uh, parents started um been hanging around Maine and was an educator 
worked in community organizing and conservation and got really interested in agricultural landscapes. Um, you know, talk more about that later, but, um, but yeah, I, I just got really excited about, um, malting around 2012 and it's, it's power to, um, to be an economic development tool for our state and decided we had to have one started working on it. And, um, we got off the ground at our current site, Blocks Maltos got off the ground in Lisbon, Maine in 2015. And we've been there ever since. And we've been uh, growing. We floor malt. So we use traditional floor malting methods. We've really leaned into that and um, stuck with that. And I don't know. It's great. Well, I have to say that this conference was originally scheduled for last year and it was virtual because of the pandemic. But the good part of that is I've had two years to think about Maine and, and the malt. And, and last year I first heard about Buck Family Farm. So tell us more about agriculture in Maine. My understanding is that Maine is lucky that there's still a lot of the same kind of farms and agriculture that was here 50 years ago. Yeah, so we've, we're like a potato country. That's like our, our main crop is potatoes up here. And... They're probably not, they're not going anywhere. So we're going to still be, always be the potatoes. They're going to be the number one um, crop. Um, so, yeah, so that's been the kind of the history of it is the uh, the potato. And there's been more potato processors in our area now. So we just got a brand new one like two years ago. Another So now another source for potatoes to go. So there's not just one controlling it all. So now there's three total. So, yeah, it's been farming. Our uh, potatoes have been kind of the king crop. And then Joel and I are trying to get some uh, malt quality barley back into the rotation of crops here, which has been a little bit of a fight with some of the farmers up home, but uh, I think we're making a dent. We're going to get it around. So for your family to, to evolve, I mean, I know every, every, I know more about apples. I know, you know, they went from whatever wholesale commodity to pick your own and now, you know, hard cider or, or things that work for, for apple farmers, you know, as a family farm, just, just tell us those choices that had to be made and, the, the timeline on that evolution, because you don't just turn around and say, okay, screw potatoes, now it's grains. Yeah, so, yeah, we're, I can't even think of another farm. There's one other farm I can think of that doesn't, like, have, there's two other, I guess, that don't have potatoes on the rotation. And it was kind of a hard decision going from being, like, an all-potato farm. And, you know, the, my grandfather started out as a potato farmer, so it was that, that whole piece of it, too, is, like, you know, this is tradition almost, that we're potato farmers and that we're always going to grow potatoes. Um unfortunately we had a little bit of a falling out with some family members and then that kind of led to the the exit of potatoes kind of assisted on that and it, it was still hard even with that because we thought like oh maybe we'll just plant some potatoes and still maybe maintain some of the contracts or try to do it together but then you know the labor issue up in our area we're like you know it's gonna be hard to find people to help with that and that type of thing so definitely a hard decision we do there are days in the, the fall of the year we still miss potatoes but Overall, it's been very good for us. We've been really able to just focus on grain and the malt house and that type of thing. So it's been, uh, we wouldn't go back, I guess, to the potato farm. And then what were, what were the first varieties of grains that you planted? And were there any specific barleys or anything that were best suited for Maine? Uh, yeah, oats are like really suited for like northern Maine. We can grow like really good oats. They're easy to grow. They're relatively inexpensive to grow you still get high yields out of them so that's kind of like everyone's go-to crop um back 24 years ago canadian malt came into our area and chose us as kind of a region and they just picked a variety that they used in new brunswick and they just brought it across the border and 
kind of put it into our area and it's been kind of the the go-to barley variety over the years i know some guys have switched to different ones for like feed barley and stuff but it's kind of been the everyone keeps going back to that same variety what's the name of that one josh the new dale thank you joel you're my ally <laughs> uh name of it yeah i'm just, just trying to like the... you know yeah get some information out there i know what you're talking about but <laughs> listeners might not yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah newdale is the, the the chosen crop from uh canadian malt or it was up until i don't know like three years ago the rights ran out on the name so yeah i think they're it's connect connect yeah, is yeah. the one that they're they're contracting now but newdale is still what we use at uh, blocks malt house primarily um it's it's you know, it does have some pre-harvest sprouting. Anyway, we'll get, get more into this later. There, I mean, there's some there's some challenges to it, but it's generally performed pretty well, and farmers are familiar with it, so that's good. But I know, I'm actually, Josh, you should talk about the variety choice. I know you guys are doing a lot with different varieties too, which is cool. That's something you guys are able to yeah. do. Yeah, so we've been doing the variety trials on our farm. Who hosts the variety trials? Is that the university system? Does it? Yeah, it's the cooperative extension. Cooperative extension. They they put on some variety trials. I think they're still doing them in Orno and in up in Prescott. So they've done it on our farm for the last like three years where they plant. Um, a few years ago, we took two varieties out of the trials that we they performed together. They're just doing very small plots with them, so it's, sometimes it's hard to tell. But we took we chose two. We did. Uh, to scale commercial size plots of those 10 acres of each and planted them with new dale the three of them in strips and i've seen how they performed and then we chose a new variety out of that to grow commercially last year we grew 100 acres of it to see how it performed it so far it's performed very well in the field we had really high yields which farmers would like low protein levels but we've we haven't had any luck malting it yet it seemed to be a very dormant variety so we have to let it it's got to be cold for a really long time in order to break its dormancy, which like Joel said, we're used to uh, new day, which is kind of a hot variety. We can malt it right out of the field. There is no dormancy on it at all. So it's a little bit of a trick. It's, we got to be a little patient, I think, which uh, sometimes we're not always as patient as we want to be. You mean from the time you harvest it until it can germinate? Yeah. So you got to, it's basically just got to get really cold. You got to freeze it in order to break its dormancy. So we've tried it a few times throughout the winter, hoping that it'd be had enough time. And each time it doesn't seem to be enough and it takes too long to malt for us. So So a lot of work goes into making my favorite glass of beer, doesn't it, Joel? It, it absolutely does. Um, I mean, and it, it does go back to, to the farmers like Josh, there's um, several other farmers that we work with in Maine as well, who are, are making the investment, um, you know, I, I'm going to be a little more optimistic than than Josh. I mean, maybe potatoes will be king, but you know, I, I have to believe that we're going to get more more barley here in Maine. Um, and this is probably a stat that some of some of the listeners might know is that nationally, bar, barley crop is grown basically 67 percent, two thirds of it goes to malting and brewing. Um, here in Maine, um, of the you know 50 ish um thousand acres we have in potatoes um that also means there's rotation crops being grown in that um josh i think you said there's like eleven thousand acres of yeah, barley 11, that's what was reported on the, the site that i found it on was eleven thousand acres of barley so 
Um, so, you know, and then maybe a third of that is in malting barley varieties, primarily going to that Canada malting contract. So we're actually reversed in sort of the trend um, where we're instead of two thirds or one third, um, we're one third for malting barley and the rest goes primarily to feed markets. So I think there's a lot more opportunity for us to, to, to do more um, here and, and hopefully raise barley in particular. But I mean, I know both... Um, you know, I don't know, work going into, but we also do malt oats, we malt um, rye, triticale, wheat is is probably the one that we, we malt most. Um, there's probably one or two more that I'm forgetting, but I don't know, have you done any? Any what? I don't know, I don't know alternative grain, like what? what yeah, we do, a, we malt, yeah, we malt a lot of red wheat. So like this year we're going to plant on our farm alone, we're going to plant 2,100 acres of grain. I think... The last number I heard was 1,200 of that's going to be malt barley. And then, like, there's going to be, like, 800 of that's going to be wheat. So we, we do raise quite a bit of wheat, and we malt a lot of red wheat, like what Joel said. So, And we do do a lot of oats, too, but it seems like there's always a lot of oats available around because there's still a bunch of guys that grow oats, and they, they're really good oats. So you kind of get those from anywhere. And then, so, Josh, when did you realize that you would also going to be a malt house? those steps just a little of the history and then we'll get joel talking in about how markets developed and everything yeah so we it was in 2014 we were looking to diversify our farms we were still potato crop at the time it was my father and his two uncles on the farm and then myself i have three brothers so there was four of us in the next generation looking to enter the farm and uh you know just more melts to feed so we were gonna have to grow the farm to if we wanted to be part of it and uh so we started looking at just alternative crops other than potatoes. And we first looked into uh, hops. We we're going to be a big hop farm was our, was our thought. We, we seen this craft beer thing kind of coming alive. And uh, so we're like, yeah, we'll grow hops. Those look pretty easy. We're just going to build a trellis system and you know, go and plant them. It's like they plant, you know, they grow again every year. So you only have to plant them once. And uh, we ordered a bunch of rhizomes, ordered all the cables and stuff. It was about this time of year to be planted in 2014. And uh, uh, then we're like, shoot, we should go talk to a, a brewery to see if they want to buy our hops before we get ahead of ourselves here, which we are already kind of ahead of ourselves. We talked to a brewery and during that visit, they're like, well, let's give you a tour of the brewery and show you how beer is made. First thing he said is like, yeah, we start with putting barley in. And we're like, oh shit, there's barley and beer. No idea. <laughs> we were uh, young, young drinkers at the time. So uh, uh, yeah. And then he's like, yeah, all you do is you got to malt it. Then we can use it. And we're like, oh, okay, no big deal. We'll malt it and we'll send you barley. We got barley on our farm. And uh, that was kind of the spark that we needed. We started looking into how malt was made and the process. And uh, so that was in 2015. That's how we had a, a building that was a potato storage. Our contract was getting cut essentially we seen that kind of coming so this building was going to be opened up there's lots of floor space so we decided that maybe we'll try putting in a small floor malting system that we can test the waters with and uh yeah it's kind of taken off since then it's pretty funny there's an english beer writer that i really respect pete brown and he, he when he did some of his early studies he said most people think that that beer is made from chemicals so <laughs> i think if you, if you didn't even realize barley went into the beer i guess we're all just getting educated and then, uh, you know, Blue Ox and those next steps. And really then how, how you, like, figured out that this was going to work and maybe some of the first breweries that, that you did get to work with. Um, yeah, sure. So um, my, my story getting to Craft Malt came from the other direction. Josh Josh came from, like, the, the, the farm up. I um, was a, by 
you know, I think I mentioned community organizer. I was an organizer. I was a edu- educator and I was getting ready to go back and study food systems and how we can develop more robust, resilient food systems as a tool for rural economic development and keeping agricultural landscapes uh, alive and healthy. Um, in that process of paying attention, realize that Maine, um, uh, and, I, and I know I said this the other day, but I mean, I, I think it was, malting was almost an inevitable um, and, and, and Josh and me were the, the two people that you know, well, Josh and his family uh, and me were the were the were the people who took advantage of that opportunity. That's because Maine has historically been um, a natural resource exporter. Um, a lot of what comes out of Maine is been, you know, it's it's lobster, it's it's potatoes, maybe um, it's raw milk, um, it's wood it's lumber it's not the finished product it's not always like the furniture from the lumber or you know increasingly it is you know there's french fries and things coming out of of um this and there's more you know cheese creameries and um ice cream and things coming out of maine these days um but we were missing a value-added opportunity and that was something that we really needed um to keep these rule um these rural areas alive and um, farming viable for them. So I was looking at how to increase access to premium mid-sized markets um, and really saw, I was talking to a home brewer, or sorry, I was talking to a craft brewer. Um, I was a home brewer and um, we were just like, yeah, the same kind of conversation. It's like, well, barley and beer, like you can't use local grain. And he's like, no, cause we need a malt it. I was like, that's like, why are we not doing this? That was in July of 2012. Um, went through the process of applying to grad school, got in, but in that process, after I got my application off, I was like, well, what am I going to do if I don't get in? And I, thought that malting idea was really cool. So I started to um, do research behind it and decided that I would much rather, you know, try to build this capacity here because, you know, we, we had all this malting barley being grown in the state, as Josh mentioned, since about 20, or sorry, uh, 2000, we've had malting contracts going to Canada. The brewers that were trying to use main grain were buying that back through a distributor in New York, through BSG, in country malt group or no maybe it wasn't bsg sorry i think it was country malt group um and you know we were just missing out on all that value added so yeah i, I just basically from there I, I the first thing i did actually did was i took business courses because i was all in nonprofits. i was all in education i had no business background no malting background a limited homebrewing background, but took some business courses and then I took some malt courses and then I um, just slowly built up the momentum um, to, to Blue Ox Malt House. So I don't know. I think I'm going on too long, but ask me ask me another question later. I'll say more. You're not going on too long. Now, now Josh, keep going with this. Keep going with that. That's, I think he, was, he, he nailed it here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, they, there was that it's funny because we, we hit, Joel started in 2012, the idea, and then he was ahead of us, and we didn't even think to look to see if there was another malt yeah. in Maine or anything. It was just kind of, because we were doing it from the other angle of just like, hey, we got barley, and, and this brewer down in Bangor said he would take it if we, if we malted it up, is how we put it. And uh, he's going to malt that up. And uh, 
and so yeah so we were just we kind of just dove into it that way and then after a while i think we did do to get started we did uh we contacted sean Solve and the main brewers guild which is like the brewers guild has been awesome for us i mean just to get your name because a lot of times you call up a brewery and they just you know they get calls from people all the time they don't want to talk so have like someone like sean go in and say hey i'm with the main brewers guild you need to talk to this guy because this is what they're doing and like kind of opened a lot of doors for us and we were able to uh we, I think we sent out like a survey and sent it to Sean and he like made sure of it. There was like 40 breweries in the state at the time, made sure all 40 of them got to see our letter to see what we were doing. And that kind of helped give us a little bit of traction for when we did show up with a bag of malt, we weren't complete strangers to them. But What were some of the first beers that, that were made in Maine with, with your malts or this the first breweries that work with it? Maybe some of that lessons that you learned. Yeah, I think I think the first person that just like went for it, we went, I remember Jake and I, we loaded up the pickup with as much grain as we could fit in the back seat. And then we just did cold knocks on doors. And of course, there's only 42. So it was only, it didn't take us too many trips to hit them all. But uh, I remember we went to the Liberal Cup in Hollow, Maine. And uh, Jeff uh, there, he, we talked to him and he was just into the story. And then he's like, well, how many bags you got in your pickup? And we're like, oh, we got six left. And he's like, oh, I need six to do one beer. And we're like, all right. And he's like, oh, I'll take them all. And then we wanted to give them to him because we're just giving out like promotional bags at the time. And he's like, nope, I'm going to pay for at least half of them. So we gave him half and he paid, wrote us a check right there for the other half. And he brewed the next day <laughs> with it. And we got his feedback. And I don't know, that kind of helped give us a little bit of momentum into it. Um, and of course, we we learned early on that the uh, the breweries do communicate quite a bit they're the open communication so if you make a, a good wave in there it's probably gonna ripple through them all so um but yeah that was the, that was the first one that i remember he just did a full batch of beer served it through, through his tasting room so right and joel what's some some of the, one or some of the first breweries that you got to work with and i'm sure you had to cut your teeth yeah uh well i was just trying to reflect um and i actually heard that story from jeff interesting so it's yeah. it's, it's the same story so yeah, yeah. validated um but it yeah like but i was like trying to think did i have a moment like that and you know for whatever reason i like can't really remember i do know that when i was smelting so you had you had asked me earlier about being in belfast and i guess um in my process um of building it out my first kind of quote-unquote malt house was um like doing a few hundred pounds on a stainless steel table in a cooler in a shared kitchen space in belfast maine um and the first brewer to malt with that grain was um um <laughs> was the father of um the brewer up in kennebec um Kennebec River. Um, but yeah, we just like went, it was, it was, it was a home brewer um, with a very glorified system. I think he used to, oh man, I'm sorry if you're listening to this. I'm trying to remember all the breweries and pull them back. I used to know all the breweries um, in the names in Maine up until there's 89 and then I lost count and I like couldn't, I can't, I can't in my mind keep, <laughs> keep track of everybody anymore. Um, when I started, there's only 33. But um, yeah, we, we like went down um, to Walderboro and um, went in his garage and brewed a beer and it was it was delicious and amazing. That was the first brewer to use this. As far as the first like brewery, oh man, I don't know. But I mean, it, it probably come up. I mean, Allagash was definitely one of the early adopters. Um, and to reiterate what what Josh was saying, I mean, the, the guild and the community here has been 
amazingly supportive of us. I think there's a lot of probably reasons they're doing a lot around building a main beer brand and they've been super successful with that. Um, and that's definitely had a, a rising tide floats all boats mentality. Um, and so it's hard to know the first brewery we, we worked with because we were embraced, um, as, as Josh said, um, as a craft craft monsters by this community and, um, and they all just sort of started piling with us and using us, you know, probably mostly, you know, internal or draft draft rooms. I mean, I think probably both of us started in Allagash at their internal um, staff uh, system that they kind of just brew a keg or two, um, barrel or two. And maybe it's half barrel. I don't know. I forget. All right. So long ago. It's been 10 years. Jimmy, I can't remember all these details. <laughs> well, that's why we're, I feel like for two days, all we've been is talking about this stuff. And I, I leave her saying, God, I just want to go to Novari Res and have some of those beers. And, and, and thanks to both of you, because I think last year when the conference was, was almost going to happen, uh, we did talk about going to Novari Res and having a little mixer where you guys would help curate some craft mall beers. And your staff did do it. And hats off to David and especially Katie at Blue Ox Mall, because it was awesome. And I want to talk about those beers, because I know that either or both of you, your your malts were in those beers. And, you know, the first one that, that, that Sean at Navarre Rez recommended was the Northwood, which was made with some Blue Ox Malt. And he said, Dunkel. And when I was thinking a malt-focused tasting, and I had, it was my first beer of the day, I was like, I want the Dunkel. Do you, want, do you, do you know anything about that, that beer or, or brewery? Um, but they're over in New Hampshire. Um, and I should have, and a shout out to Katie and Dave. They really did the lion's work behind pulling that together. So, um, thanks for that acknowledgement. Dave definitely knows more. I should have talked to him, but, um, yeah, Northwoods are over there. Um, it's, it's all of our Munich malt. Um, it's actually our dark, not, not, we, I think we would just, we just won a bronze medal for our light Munich malt, but that's not the malt. Um, it's not the, the malt in there. Um, but it's delicious. I love it. I think it's very sessionable. I love the, the toasty character. Um, I mean, I, I do enjoy, um, like, more like grassy or, or bitter flavors, but I love this. I, it's just smooth. It's it's not that bitter. It's just really forward on. I think the bready character, and I I think the guys at Northwood did a great job. Oh, that was really great. And I looked at the list, and most of the breweries I didn't know. Um, I know there was one that was here at the conference, the, the Bissell Pilsner, and on the can it says made with a hundred percent Maine malt. Yeah, yeah, they use a bunch of our Pilsner malt, so they're like. Bissell Brothers are our top customer right now, so they they move the most volume of grain as of right now. So, and their pilsner is very delicious. Yeah, and there and there was quite what I love about malt is that 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 list has quite a variety of styles, you know. And there was even I know uh, John Hall, our, our great beer editor friend, posted yesterday that he had had the Norway and it, and it was a smoked beer, which we were also we're hoping to try that too. Do you know whose whose malt is in Norway? And that's a great brewery, right? Norway, not too far from Portland. I, I would say that um, Norway is a great a brewery, and and they they're also a great gastropub. So they've got great beer and food. Um, they do use, you know, I know they do use both of us. So 
Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe both of us are in that. It's hard. You know, I was telling someone else the other day, they're like, what beers have your mouth in this list? And it's like, I don't know. I, I work with 120 breweries, <laughs> and I send the malt out, and I, I, I don't know what they do <laughs> with it all of the time. It's hard to track. They sometimes don't know what they're going to do with it when they order it. So it's like, you know, but, you know, we're often not the only supplier. Um, so it sometimes it's hard to know which beers are in but the the smoked malt um did come from us i um i believe it was applewood smoked um i might have been wrong there um but you know we we do smoke malts um as specialty sort of on a custom basis for um our brewers um to the specs so we've we've done applewood smoked cherry smoked maplewood smoke at a stiller in vermont that's taken a lot of maplewood smoke um um, we've done oak barrel staves, staves smoked. Um, so anyway, we, we'll do all sorts of stuff, um, um, with the, with the smoked malts. Is it usually by the request of the brewer? Um, yeah, well, we, it's, it's a product that we took an old steep germination kiln vessel and converted to a cold smoker when we realized that we had designed it as a pilot system, but when we put in our floor malting, we realized we had way more quality control over our actual production system than we did over that system. So we repurposed it as a cold smoker because a pilot system that's less precise than your production system is pretty useless. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and so it's a small enough scale for us at three or 400 pounds that we can really just custom smoke. So um, we, we offer it, we, we have a few products we might carry on hand, but largely it's it's whatever the brewers want, we're willing to work with them on it. Yeah, and I've talked to you a couple of times, or you or, you know, and I talked to Josh before on the radio, I still couldn't believe that there's 120 breweries in, or more in Maine that are using your malt. Um, do, seems like Maine, you said that, I know in your talk yesterday, you talked about that Maine had been exporting the raw materials from lobsters to lumber to, to barley and potatoes. Um, the current, you know, in our era, what, what, what's responsible for this change in Maine? You know, is it ag policy? Is it, is, is there university behind it is there money so you're saying for like what's keeping the we're bringing industry into me yeah the, the changes to go from you know barley to to monsters to have more breweries to processing you know lobsters for luke's lobster yeah i think there's i think people are just realizing that you can value add it in maine rather than sending someone else to value add and then i'm Joel can talk more about like the economic development side of it and how we've gotten funding and stuff like that to help us along and help bring that close the, close the loop as, as you might say. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely been a journey. I, I can't claim to have an answer for that. I can have ideas and I'm happy to share about why I think that's the case. Um, I definitely, um, think that, for a while now in the policy and the research, we've seen this opportunity. Um, and in 2010, a group came together and I think it was main food strategy, but it might have that wrong. Main food strategy is at least doing like a 10 year plan and increased value add was definitely part of that. The, the state of Maine for a long time has been developing a brand um, 
real main. It used to be get real, get main. Now, now it's real main. Um, really trying to build that quality value. And I think main um, has benefited historically from having a brand that is associated with quality um, and food, like with the lobsters. Um, and so the state has put a lot of economic development money into just promoting Maine as a brand. I think beer, um, I mean, Portland's a food city. Anyone who hasn't been to Portland, Maine um, should come and try the food. It's it's great. And the guilds, the Brewers Guild, I think did a great job taking that. And I mean, we're, we're exporting beer. I mean, I, I mean, obviously biased, but I think Portland, Maine is one of the best beer cities in the world. Um, the quality, the focus on the quality, I think that had a lot of to do with the founders here, especially like Rob Todd at Allagash, who I know everyone looks up to, um, you know, his focus on not compromising on the beer um, really set a really strong tone for our industry here. And it, it's hard to come to Portland, Maine and find a bad beer. <laughs> you know, there's so many breweries and, um, and, and pretty much anywhere you go, you're going to have a world-class beer um and and they built on that main brand and i guess the whole point is like this has been intentional work that's been done by groups there's all been a, a lot of economic development money put behind it that clout um has reached the policy makers they're aware of what's going on i think one thing we've done really successfully here in maine and is talk about how multi-grains are really part of an overall healthy food system um, and I, I personally, from my previous work, you know, in sustainable development, really think food is such a powerful tool to think about socially, economically, um, ecologically developing um, towards sustainability. We all, we all eat every day. It touches every part of our lives. It touches our health. It touches our um, economics. It touches our energy policy. It's our, it's cultural um, we all have a relationship to food and it's such a powerful place for us to, to be. And malting is a really key part of that because we have the rotation crops. Um, it's, it's the grain that we use is, is grown in rotation with, with other food locally here. And then also the grain that we use and, and you know, Josh, I know you, I, I, I don't know, but I think you have other, um, you have other customers who are not, uh, brewers and distillers, but I mean, I know that some of the grain I buy um, also goes to flour mills or to other places. So it's it's literally the same grain that's going into the food that we eat. Um, and what's great is we have this amazing economic development industry in craft beer, and that you know craft brewers and craft craft beer drinkers can support agriculture in Maine by by buying beer, and we can move that grain to farms, you know, either farms that we work with or directly in the case of, of uh, farms, like right, you know, right to their farm um, and help make farming more viable. Anyway, I think I'm, again, going a little bit off, but. No, it's great. And, you know, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Coming this spring, we're working on something big for opening soon. Opening a restaurant can sometimes take months or even years. So I have this one consulting client that's been three months away from opening for the past year. And I had a calendar reminder show up today, and the reminder was that 
our goal was to open tomorrow. This spring, you'll be able to hear it in just a few hours. On March 30th, he had passed away. And then on March 31st, he had come back to life. And then on April 2nd, he had passed away again. And I was like, okay, my regards to the family. I don't even know how to receive this information. So tune in as we follow one of Brooklyn's best and brightest young chefs and restaurateurs on their journey from start to open doors. Alex, you need to put more money in. We're out. We can't pay anybody. He is the broad worst. Oh my <laughs> God, that guy. It's the build. Subscribe to Opening Soon from Heritage Radio Network, wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. It feels like a gift to be able to give this gift to people because I know that from my own experiences, I know how valuable, consolidated, mm -hmm. incredible training resources are. They offer an in-depth education on all things cheese, as well as an active network for peer support and career development. You can pop over to the Quad, which is our social networking and engagement app. Um, and so that's a really fun and dynamic aspect of Cheese State University. Cheese State's three-part course is designed for seasoned pros and entry-level mongers alike and covers all the skills one needs to perform on the cheese counter. The structure of Cheese State University is all based on the Cheese State University Field Guide. Um, and that is a three-volume resource. It's all digital online. At the end of the course, students will be ready to ace the field guide assessment and earn their Cheese State Scholar Certificate. Another resource is a video series where we tackle sort of like these thornier questions that you can get on the cheese counter, like what is rennet? And like, why is this cheese so expensive? And can pregnant people even eat cheese? At Cheese State, you're among experts, you're among scholars, you're among cheese lovers, and most importantly, you are a monger. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at CheeseStateUniversity.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's March 18th, 2023. I'm at the Craft Malt Conference in Portland, Maine. And if you like this, join us and become a member at HeritageRadioNetwork.org slash donate. So I've got uh, Joel Alex from Blue Ox Malt House and Josh Buck from Maine Malt House. Uh, to and probably the only two malt maltsters in Maine who are doing amazing work. So um, Joel was just talking about how Maine has really been supportive, and you know we we think of not just lobsters but the beer being really great. Josh, did you want to say anything else about that before I ask you another question? No, you can ask me another question. Okay, so back to the beer. So again, at the the list that lined up for the conference and and for, I mean, I love the the beers that I've had up here and that. Novari Res, the Blue Ox team lined up some regional malt beers. Um, Allagash, 16 counties. It's one beer that one time I got one keg in New York for a festival a few years ago. And I know that people outside of the state w will think, oh, if I'm getting a, you know, re regional malt beer, I'll get Allagash, 16 counties. Um, do you want to tell me anything about that? Maybe the malts are in it. I have a feeling some of your malts are in there. I think we have, I'm not exactly sure, because like Joel said earlier, once our malt goes out the door, it's hard to say exactly where what happens with it. But uh, I think we have some base malt in that, uh, some Mapleton Pale in that. I'm pretty sure they're only distributing that in Maine. As, uh, they kind of reeled in their focus on it. They changed the recipe up a few years ago and made it even better, and uh, they brought distri distribution just to Maine on it, so that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, I had a glass of it yesterday with uh, with Branch, uh, who's one of the, the he's a brew house manager at Allagash, and um, it 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 wasn't like a huge malt forward beer. It, it was very subtle, and, and the, the yeast profile was really good. And again, it was something that I would want to drink all day. And uh, you know, why is it? I I always feel like if I'm getting a, a local malt or regional malt beer, to me, it's better. Now, is that just because I'm biased? Or does it actually taste better? Oh, all right. To me, uh, I, I, I think it is. Actually, this is this is good. I, I have an answer for this because I was just talking to Lindsay Barr of Draft Lab, and we were talking. I just was asking the question of, does malt flavor really translate? How does it really translate to? beer as a finished product and it's it's hard because it's you know she, she was saying this it's not a one-to-one um you know there's so much that goes into beer that it's always going to be hard to make it you know okay i have a really beautiful biscuity bready uh malts um you know does it translate perfectly to you know bready uh biscuity flavor in the beer and there's so many you know, as your listeners will know, and beer is so complicated. Um, so she's like, you know, it's it's not perfect. But some of the studies that she did um, early on and other people showed that if if you like a um, if, if, if you like a malt we, as like a malt steep tea, um, people would list their preference. And then they did a, a two beers with those malts and a 75 percent preferred the beer with the same malt that they preferred. Um, so there definitely is a correlation there. And then I, I, I went off this little tangent. I, I have to be careful with this metaphor because I was saying it to a bunch of economic uh, development tour that came through and uh, almost went in the wrong direction with it. But it's it's like if, you know, I've always, I heard early on, you know, uh, brewers talk about yeast being the soul of, of beer. And I was like, okay, well, so, if yeast is the soul of the, of, of the person, you know, you know, I was like, I'd be like, hops would be like the clothes. They're like the flashy things that everyone sees. And you can like, you can like dress up anyone in clothes and make them look really good. But, you know, what, what's, what's under the clothes, right? I mean, you want a healthy body underneath there. You want to support. And I went with like, what happens when the clothes go off? Anyway, that that's where that's where I started to win sideways in my in my tour, and I had to stop myself. But it's like, but it is like you know, it's 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 about what's what's supporting that whole thing. I mean, beer really is. Sorry, malt is really the body of 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 the beer, and you want a really healthy, robust body. And you know, your clothes are going to look better. You know, on your body if if you're chisel healthy labs, right? i mean well yeah that's you, know, you don't have to chisel ads but just whatever your body type is there's lots of body types out there um you know take care of yourself you're gonna feel better it's gonna you're you will look better you know just taking care of yourself and so the good good malt you're, you're good enough to eat or drink yeah. okay drink me yeah. okay so um josh what, what beer you know there's been a lot of really great craft malt beers here at the conference and at Novarez. Is there one that you, you've enjoyed drinking? Oh man, the, the beer question. We get this asked all the time. What's your favorite beer? And, you know, and I, our go-to answer is like, well, I don't know which one's my favorite because I haven't tasted them all yet. So that's my, usually my answer, but I, I was drinking a, uh, we were drinking some sacred profanes down at Navari Res and, uh, 
Those were very delicious. We also had a uh, there was a nitro stout. I don't remember who that was by. That was very good. Yeah, the Sacred Profane. We got to give them a shout out. It was a, a Czech black lager that was. It was funny because I had had the North the Northwood the Dunkel, and I after about three of them, I was like, okay, I want to go to the next level. And I didn't get a chance to talk to someone. So yesterday I told them the same story. And Lacey at Navari Res brought, said, you got to try this. Sacred Profane, the Czech dark lager. It had that roastiness um, that, that was just what I needed. I probably also should have gone up to that smoke, the, the Rauk beer too, uh, from Norway. So it's cool. Hey, back to this, this, this conference. So what I've learned about this conference is that it's been going on, going back to 10 years. And, and it's not a consumer conference. There's farmers, maltsters, and, and some brewers. I know that some of the big breweries like Naglaris and Ballast Point did, did send, send someone, which is probably exciting for you guys in the industry. But um, the the kind of the showpiece of this event is what? The Malt Cup Awards. So if you guys want to tell me about that, I know that, that, that Blue Ox won a couple, and congratulations. But let's talk about what that means and and. And who do you share that information with? Is that more of an industry thing to help you with your brewers? Or are consumers caring that their beer was made with a malt cup award-winning malt? Um, well, I, I don't know what I'm telling people yet because you just won them last night. And so um, I'll let you, you can follow up with me. I'll let you know. What- so tell us what you won. What and for which which malts? Um, so uh, we it was really awesome um, to to be here in Portland with this um, industry and conference, which has some great roots going back to farmer brewer and Andrea Stanley in uh, Massachusetts, who I got to do a shout out for her um, and and the work that so many people have done to build up to having the hot steep method to being able to then do the uh, the lab analysis and. Anyway, there's a lot of work behind this, and that is actually extremely meaningful to me. That's that's that that's that the fact that we can have this award at all and do it and do an analysis in such depth on craft malt is is already the win. Um, you know, as far as us, we we got um, a bronze medal for the pale category, pale malt category, and for the light Munich category. Um, and so it, it's really cool. I have to 100% shout out to my team on that. It was mo- most meaningful part for me was that, you know, my team is in there um, doing hard work every single day, making great malt and, you know, that to have that validated um, and have them be able to be here with me in Portland um, rather than if we were somewhere else was, was, was just awesome. Um, and like it, before I, I know I'm not going to cry on it, but it can give me a little teary. I could get myself teared up about it. Um, I mean, they're they're amazing. They're awesome. I have a, an amazing team, and regardless of what we tell our customers, um, but you know, I'm just so proud of them, and that has been the most meaningful part of it so far. And yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we'll, we'll probably put something out there <laughs> better malts once once you figure it out. But it's still still fresh. You guys got to work on your Instagram, just so you know. <laughs> There's not a lot of posts, but I did see there was a beer that I had in November, my first time in Portland. You you had a, a malt. I think it might have been a chocolate malt that Urban Farm Fermentary made into a, a chicory stout that that I'd had. Yeah, we um we we put out some chocolate rye malt. Worked with um, a roaster locally. We found that had some extra capacity. Um, 
and and that's that's been a really fun prod product. Um, it's kind of reliant on the availability of the roaster, so it's not always available for all the brewers out there, but it will get it back soon. Um, and um, that's great. I don't know sorry, but you're asking about about the roasting. Um, so we um, yeah, we, we've, we've, we're trying to branch out, do the, the roast and malts. Urban Far Fermentary did a great job with that beer. I liked it. Oh, that's great. And then but back to the malt cup. So um, you guys, what's the process? You submit your malts, and then how do they judge it? I, I ran into Hannah Turner from Montana State University. She says, oh, one time you got to sit in through through all the judging. So so how do they judge it? Yeah, so they, what they did is, like, you send all your samples in. We actually didn't we didn't submit any this year. Probably should have, but uh, <laughs> we got busy. and uh, But we were judges for it. So what they did is they sent us out samples. I can't remember which category we – I think we were in the pills category maybe of judging. So they sent us a bunch of these, like, samples, and they're all just numbered so you don't know where they came from or anything like that. And you do the hot seat method on them. Um, to make it into a little nice little malt tea. And then we we had our whole, and there's three of us that were actual judges, but we got the everyone involved at the malt house. And so everyone could kind of get in on it and we did the tasting on it. And then you're basically ranking them from which one you like the most to the worst, I guess. So it's based on the hot steep method. Yes, yeah, that's how it's based on. And there was other notes in that that we filled out of different things. And then over, it was like kind of like your, what are some notes you found in each one? And then like, what's your overall favorite one, I out of that category and then so the, these malts were sent from all over the world right yeah yeah and we don't i mean at the time when you did it you don't even know where they're from or anything you just get a box in the mail with some little bags in it and yeah you kind of go from there wow you know I, I was impressed when i walked in i, I was my i came here thinking maine 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 and i knew a lot of just the, the backstory of of new york state from you know grains and and malt and meeting andrea stanley when everyone was just getting started but I didn't realize I'd walk in and someone, I'd say, where are you from? And someone's Ohio. And there's a whole bunch of these farmers from Ohio. And you're from Minnesota and you're malting. Oh, the, the Danish guy is doing a new technology with enzymes for something. You know, it's pretty wild. I met a, I met a malter from Norway, too. Norway, the country, not the, not the town, right? Yeah, I met him as well. And I, I was also blown away. I was like, oh, you, you're from Norway, me? And he's like, no, Norway, Norway. And I was like, ah. Wow, I, I could tell he was from Norway. His sweater game was on point, so I was like, "You, you're definitely from Scandinavia." Oh yeah, it was a little different, but you know, you know a lot of Canadians. I, I talked to Joe Hamill from Alberta. He also had a long family, long, long time family farm that that was growing barley, and they they morphed into more craft. Uh, so neat people. It's a really great experience, and I want to thank you guys for in- encouraging me to come up and and for inviting me. Anything else? A question that you guys have for each other, or a question that or a topic that you that people have been you know, talking about here, a little bit of insider stuff before we close out. Because this conference, everyone in Crab Malt is here or online, and there's a lot of really smart people here. Oh, uh, put me on the spot. Um, insider information on the Craft Malt. Yeah. Oh, what? They can't. We can't. We can't get rid of all of our trade yeah all our trade secrets no Um, (laughs) yeah no i mean i i guess it really it's reiterating what you said i mean you know the the mall cup did have six countries represented three canadian provinces um and i actually forget the amount of states but an enormous amount of states um as well um it, it really is an amazing community it's so lovely for me to 
spend time with these other people that understand. I mean, I think there's around 150 of us at this conference. And I mean, in my day-to-day life, I have to explain, I mean, I just, I have to explain every day what I do and like why I do it. And so just to be able to connect and get these, um, I kind of like hate this word, but I'll use it synergies and the, the ideas and hear what other people are doing and get inspired to bring it back to your malt house is, is really just, it's just really lovely. And, and I guess it's not a trade secret. Well, what's, what's one term or word that you would use that you could instantly say to someone at this conference and they would get that in your daily life, you wouldn't even utter. <laughs> yeah, I know pretty much any multi like, yeah. For, salad. Like, salad. Yeah, salad. And, and, oh, if I just said, if I just say, you know, it's an SGK. It's an SGK. That's all. And yeah. if, if you're, if your listeners still, know what that is, it's, it's part of the trade secret. You have to look it up. Uh, yeah, we still get asked the question like, oh, you guys do hops? No, we don't do hops. Like, yeah, because everyone just yeah. thinks of hops when they think of beer. They're like, oh, so you guys make hops? Like, no, we yeah. don't make hops. Or, or barley breeding. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, talk about winter, winter varieties, spring varieties, facultative varieties. Yeah, I think it's uh, cool too. The conference is like just uh, not too many places where you can talk about like equipment. I do a lot of like the infrastructure and building out at the malt house, and uh, so I'm always fascinated by how other people malt and like how they develop their systems and stuff like that so it's cool just to have people that you can talk to and ask them and they understand about the pumping grain or floor mechanisms and uh it's just i don't know to me to me that's kind of like the little behind the scenes on people's malt houses that you, you don't really get anywhere else okay if anyone listened this far sgk somebody's gonna message me and tell me what the hell that is but now last question for josh josh um walk us through again malting 101 since your farm so after you harvest, the first steps, overview, harvesting, what do you do? Do you store it then to the malt? And then what kind of malting are you doing? So you want to go all the way from the farm. So, yeah, okay. So from the farm, yeah, we're, our big thing is we're, we're out of the field. We're drying that grain down, bringing it down to the moisture content that we want to store it. We're then storing it for long term. So we're freezing it. Then we're bringing it into the malt house and cleaning it. And then it's going into our... A steep tank we're steeping it for up to 48 hours and it's going into our germination kiln vessel where we're germinating it for four days and the whole vessel is also a kiln um we're killing it down and then we're knocking it out of there back through the cleaning line into packaging and on a truck and in port on the next day in a glass two weeks later awesome and then two weeks wow and then joel are you guys doing that same system or are you doing floor malting um, yeah, so we do floor molding. So our our grain um, is grown up in the same area that um, that Josh is in. We receive that in um, super sacks right now. We'll, we'll be moving to a truckload soon, and then we load up about five tons into our steep tanks, which is in a in um, environmentally controlled, cool, moist room, which is our germination room. Um, it will stay in there for um, a couple of days, put it on our floor for three and a half, four days, gets moved to our kiln for a day, day and a half. We'll, ba- we'll bag it up, um, you know, and at that point, we probably are just shipping it out. We, we do offer milling, so we'll sometimes have to, you know, mill up some of that. But, um, but then it, it gets down to the brewers and at their loading docks or wherever they're receiving and they make beer out of it. It's great. I want to thank you guys for joining me. 
Joel from Blue Ox Malt House, and and Josh from Maine Malt House. And uh, for our listeners, as you know, the, these are this is part of what makes your beer good. And I was just really proud to be up here and to meet everyone at the Craft Malt Conference. So thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks to Joel and thanks to Josh. Thanks to Armin, our engineer, who'll be uh, cleaning this up. And uh, any last words from you guys? Yeah, thank, thanks for having me on again, Jimmy. I know we, we did a couple months ago. I was on. I really enjoyed that. And so thank, thank you again. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for, for bringing craft malt to your listeners. Um, you know, I, th- I think part of our story is, is helping people understand where the grain comes from and, and why it's important. And um, any opportunity we can have to tell and share that story is, is a, an important one. So thank you. And a big shout out to Jesse Boussard, your executive director, Craft Monsters Coach has really uh, kept this thing going in the pandemic. I actually, I actually got connected with the Craft Monsters Guild during the pandemic with, with some online sessions um, on the North American Guild of Beer Writers, and I think I first saw Hannah Turner and uh, Emily Hudo talking about about Craft Malt. So big shout out to your organization. Thanks again for inviting me up here, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, woo. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.